I really enjoyed um, really enjoyed preparing for this week. We're into uh, Romans chapter five now, so gonna read that soon. But I'll start with a, a story of parents. They had two children, and one was an extreme optimist, and one was an extreme pessimist. And the parents were were um, they wanted their children kind of more in the middle, and they didn't want like the extremes. So they came up with this idea of what they'd do at Christmas time. They decided they would give the extreme optimists a particular present and the extreme pessimists a particular present. So they um, gave the extreme uh, pessimist an iPhone. And um, the, the pessimist unwrapped the present and saw his iPhone and said, ah, it'll probably break. And they gave the extreme um, optimist uh, a box of manure. Did I get that right? Yeah. A box of manure. And um, that... That child unwrapped it and said, wow, manure. There's got to be a pony around here somewhere. <laughs> and it's, it's really interesting, eh, how we see things, how we view the world, how we view the world. And by we, I mean we, because it's interesting in chapter 5 now, the pronoun changes. Uh, earlier in Romans, it started with, with a lot of I. For instance, Paul says, um, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Also, you and they. But chapter 5 tends to go to we. There's a lot of we. Let's read Romans 5, chapter, uh, verses 1 to 11. Therefore... Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Other versions say, does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Verse 6, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely when you die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him, through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? 
Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We, we, the inclusive us. So the, the question today is this, how do we view different periods of time? How do we view the different epochs of time? How do we view the past? The past? How do we view the present? How do we view the future? As we look at this passage, how do we view the past? And as we look at this passage, there is kind of a sad face, really, because we have this tendency at times uh, to view the past with rose-colored spectacles, the glorious past, the good old days. Uh, in the July holidays, our family were down with both sides of the family, and um, we ended up at my mum's place, and we were talking about uh, one side of her family, her, her dad's side, the Scandinavian side. And um, I had this kind of view that um, got chipped away at a bit of uh, our ancestors. Uh, her great-grandfather came from Denmark in the 1870s. And probably is not as wonderful as I used to think he was. I, he was described as a very strong man, and his son was as well, um, as was my grandfather. But there was something unusual that happened on the boat. He was a Sorensen, and he changed his name to Jansen. So most likely he was running for, from something, as immigrants sometimes do. So um, he was a Sorensen, changed into a Jansen, and then his son, who had always thought of um, highly to my um, great-grandfather, of things that were said, mum said, one of the things about him I never knew was he had this tendency to work the kids really hard. In fact, my grandfather ran away as a teenager from him. And this thing I, I just learnt was one of the things he liked to do was um, get the kids to work on the farm while he would lie on his bed reading Shakespeare. <laughs> and that's just one side of the family. She told me some, some dirt on the other side of the family as well. But um, it's not only, you know, Willie Ngārimu was saying about um, the coasties, and it's easy to think of um, it was all good here in Aotearoa before the Anglo-Saxons turned up. Well, Willie was saying not so. You know, you hear the stories of what happened on the coast in the good old days was not the good old days. There was um, sick, uh, sexual misbehaviour, there was murder, there was jealousy, there was all sorts of shenanigans. And so it is true what is said in chapter 5 here, that in the past we were sinners. In the past we were separated from God. Verse 8, we were sinners. Verse 10, we were God's enemies. Not all the time. Not entirely. There's a thing they call, theologians call common grace, which is, you know, God's amazing goodness that has an effect on us. Uh, but as we look at the past, actually it's not that great. The past. How do we see the present? Well, it's a mixed bag. Mixed bag. Good and bad. Good first. Actually great. 
we have been justified and reconciled to God. Verses 1, 9, 10, and 11. In fact, Paul, he tends to interchange those two terms, justification and reconciliation. Justification gives us peace with God. And peace here means not just um, the end, ending of hostility, but it's, it's shalom. It's, it's total peace. It's holistic, well-being. Justified has the idea of uh, like a law court. And, and just, uh, just a justification and condemnation you, uh, tended to occur uh, at the end, on the day of judgment. But Paul here, in the Old Testament, Paul here, he says, we are justified now. We are justified now. We don't have to wait and find out we are justified now. Reconciliation with God means a hostility between us and God has been removed. So this is a, a more of a relational picture. So that's good news. Justified, reconciled with God. Secondly, we have access into God's court. Verse 2. It's like an, an invitation. We're, we've been invited in. Uh, there's a great name for those that are still having babies called uh, Mephibosheth, found in Second cha uh, Samuel chapter nine. Now Mephibosheth, he was a um, a grandchild of King Saul, and David, King David, the next king, he says, "Who can I show kindness to? Who can I show kindness to of the household of?" Saul, and they say, well, there's this, this one Mephibosheth, and, he, and David says, bring him to me. I want to show kindness to him. Now, Mephibosheth would have been quaking in his boots because in those days, uh, if you're a descendant of the old king, what tended to happen was you would lose your land, your possession, and sometimes even your head. But um, David says, bring him to me. And David says, I want to bless you because of your father, Saul. You will always eat at my table. And I'm going to get a servant that will look after your land and produce for you. And this is what is kind of the picture here, where it says, um, we will have access into God's courts. That's good news. And third good piece of good news God has poured his love into our hearts. Verse 5. John chapter, um, John chapter 16, though. John chapter 16. Shall we go back on the good news? Uh, reconciliation, justification, access, love. And now the bad news. We will have suffering. We also rejoice in our suffering. John 16, 33, Jesus promised it. In this world, you will have trouble. Paul promised it. Acts 14, verse 22, he advises the new converts. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Uh, this may not be told to you on um, the TV uh, televangelist channels. But in this world, you will have suffering. Jesus promised it. Paul promised it. The Bible promises it. 
And in suffering, it's not, we're not just talking about coughs and colds. This is the pressure of a hostile world that does not like the faith that you contain inside of you. You will have suffering in this world. But suffering does some things in us. It leads to perseverance, it says. And perseverance leads to character. And character leads to hope. Hope. And hope is an amazing thing. We're going to come back to hope. And we're going on to the future now. How do we see the future? Here's a happy face with excitement and joy. Because of this thing, hope. We are saved from God's righteous anger. God's wrath. And hope is an illusion. It's not an illusion, sorry. And it's not a fantasy. It does not disappoint us. It does not lead to uh, bring us into shame. Um, I want to show you the, a photo of this guy called Victor Frankl. And Victor Frankl, uh, born about 1905 to um, about 1997, I think, he was a, a neurologist. He survived the Holocaust and survived Auschwitz. And in fact, he, he um, learned an incredible thing here that, that um, he based the rest of his life on. And what he discovered in Auschwitz was those that survived had this incredible thing called hope. Hope. Powerful thing. And he, he based the rest of his, um, his life and his study and his teaching on this thing, hope. One who has hope, he says, who knows the why for his existence will be able to bear almost any how. And he said this, ever more people today have the means to live, but no meaning to live for. You know, hope is an amazing thing. If you um, uh, hang out on marais or in Māori circles, you'll often come across this song, E Torunga Mea. It says, E Torunga Mea, uh, there are three things. Uh, and the last thing, ko te mea nunui, ko te aroha. But the other two are whakapono, faith, and tumanako, hope. And those three things, faith, hope, and love, they're not competitors. They're all on the podium, but they're not competitors. They help each other. It's like three athletes in the same race. And hope is an amazing thing. Uh, anthropologist Oscar Lewis, in the middle of last century, He's, he um, studied slums all around the world and the culture of poverty. And he discovered this, that you could overcome the culture of poverty if you had uh, one thing. And guess what that was? Hope. <laughs> if you, even if you were incredibly poor, you could um, not have those, some of those characteristics of the culture of poverty if you had hope. This century, the Jesuit priest, American Jesuit priest, Father Greg Boyle, um, he's doing incredible work with gangs in L.A. and other places, and he says gangs are fueled by a lethal absence of hope. A lethal absence of hope. That's what produces gangs. And hope is about, we think of hope, we think about the future, 
But hope is not just about the, the future because hope straddles the present and the future, right? Our hope is about the future, but it gives power to our present. Hope is an amazing thing, which brings me to the book of Revelation. Revelation, like Daniel and some other parts of Scripture, is called um, eschatological, means last things. And we can, uh, we can be guilty of eschatomania, be all about the last things. Some people are really into it. <clears throat> we can go to the other side and have eschophobia, so try and dodge it like uh, the pandemic. <clears throat> but eschatology is, eschatology is really important. It's about the future. And the book of Revelation is about the future. And it is a book of hope, which makes me angry when the purveyors of doom and groom, groom, gloom take possession of it and call it their book, because it's not their book. It is a book of hope. It is our book. It is my book. Uh, in Titahi Bay, uh, when we were growing up, my brother and I, my other two brothers, um, there are different thieves in the community. Uh, there was um, the Hartley family. <coughs> there was Johnny Mercer. There was Daniel Fraser. Uh, there's some others. And um, me, Guy, and my brother Shane, uh, little brother Luke, he was too little. But um, there was one bike, a Rally 20, that we owned between us, one bike. And it got pinched, and the word came out that it was up at the Fraser house. So one of the family went up and they, they said, have you, got, um, have you got our bike? And he actually got on the phone and he talked to some of his criminal mates and he said, oh, yes. He said, well, that's not your bike. That's our bike. Give it back. And that's what I feel about revelation. I feel like saying, give it back. This is a book of hope. It's not about doom and gloom. Give it back. Revelation, the book of Revelation belongs to us. It's, it belongs to the bride, the church, victorious church that will receive the beloved spouse when he comes back. It's a book of hope. You know, this is what Revelation is about. And sure, late in the first century when Revelation was written, things were not great. The empire. The empire, the Roman Empire, was starting to turn upon the Christian church. And there'd been Nero, he'd not been good. And in this uh, end of the first century, a new emperor, he was starting to persecute the church as well, Domitian. And um, so things were bad, and that's why there's so much code language in the book of Revelation, to hide some things from from the nasties. And uh, chapter 2 in Revelation, it talks about the beloved, probably a pastor, Antipas, who was killed under, probably under Domitian, Emperor Domitian. And there were seven churches, and they had some good points and some bad points, unlike this church. But there was uh, the old apostle John, and he had been imprisoned on a lonely island and John, he just wanted to be amongst the churches that he so loved, the seven churches, but he couldn't. And so he wanted to, to be worshipping with them. 
But there he was by himself on Sunday, and, and he was worshipping by himself, and he has this vision. And in this vision, which we call Revelation, there's huge battles ahead in the days to come. But guess what? The dragon gets really smoked in the end, like totally toasted, chapter 20. And then verse 21, there's a new heaven and a new earth, and God is with his people, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there'll be no more pain and no more death and no more mourning, and the old order of things will pass away, and the bride will be victorious, and Jesus comes back for her, and it will be wonderful. See, Revelation is a book of hope. We're going to be victorious. And it's in the future, but we, we can live it now. What a wonderful future ahead of us. And I want to encourage you to stand in that hope, the hope that we, we have, the hope that we share. And I want us to, to pray today for that, to hold on to that. And so let's, um, maybe if we can come back, we'll just play in the background if that's okay, Bay. And um, if you'd like an infusion of hope today, just going to get you to stand where you are and people can just wander around and pray over you, pray hope into you. You don't need to do an interview, but just um, if you have a word, just, just um, pray upon with that person and we're going to pray hope, uh, hope, hope onto us today. Amen? Yeah, okay, if you like some hope, um, let's just stand up and we'll start praying with you where you are. Okay, don't need to come forward, just pray where you are if you like some hope in your life today. Yeah. Just pray around, around these people, eh? Yeah. <laughs> 